My name is Keanu, and uh, I get the great honor and privilege of preaching the gospel this morning, preaching from the Word of God, and I never take this lightly. I always, it's always just amazing what God does when we open the Scriptures <clears throat> and we teach the Word of God. And so I'm excited and I'm expecting for God to move in your life and in my life. Because even when I'm preaching, I'm like, it's speaking to me. I'm getting revelation. I'm just preaching to you what I'm learning in the moment. No, I'm just joking. Um, and so I'm excited for what God's going to do. But before I begin, I just love to honor uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Robbie. Uh, they are phenomenal pastors and their generosity, their love, their honor, uh, and, the, and what's on their life to, to pioneer and lead such a phenomenal church in an area like this. Because most people don't understand this, but this region's pretty small. And to have a church of this size and to be able to pastor people so well is actually a phenomenal feat. And so and I just love how they just release young leaders to go for it. And they're not insecure leaders where they try to hold everyone, they try to control everyone, but they're, they're phenomenal leaders who release. So can we just give a round of applause for Pastor Jeff and Robbie? And then I also want to just honor everyone here uh, if you don't know, I'm from Australia, and so I don't have any like fam, like biological family here. Um, and when I came, as soon as I came, everyone here just accepted me and welcomed me in uh, so rapidly and so quickly, and really blessed my heart. And truly, the words of Jesus are, are so true in this moment that He says, "Anyone who leaves mother or brother or father or sister or any family for my sake will, uh, in this lifetime, receive a hundredfold." And I can truly say that I've received family here, uh, just and people being generous and uh, helping me navigate the visa stuff was just truly a blessing. And so I just want to thank and honor you guys. Let's give a round of applause for you guys here. And it's just, yeah, really just blesses my heart. It's, oh, it's awesome. Okay, but this morning I want to preach on being unshakable. On being unshakable. So if you're taking notes, just write down there, unshakable unshakable. And we're going to read the first scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get after it. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. It'll be on the screen behind me. He says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we just give you all the honor and all the glory this day and every day. And Lord, as we move from this place onward for the rest of our lives, let our gaze be so fixed on the person of Jesus that our lives would be a pillar of strength in our own families and our communities, God, that we would live a life that is unshaken by the trials, by the adversities, by the hardships of this life. Great Spirit of God, would you just rest so heavily upon us today? Lord, we love your presence. Move in our hearts this morning. Move in our midst in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, 
Amen. Well, today I, I want to I hopefully change the way that we see adversity and trials and hardships and calamities and great loss in our life. Because I believe that there is a, a, a place that we can get to in our lives where these things don't affect us as they used to affect us when we weren't saved and when we, when we didn't know Jesus. And this morning, I, wanna, I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to give you the Word of God. And I, I don't want to speak from my own experience per se. I want to speak from the experience of people like Paul the Apostle, like Peter, like John, like David, like our Lord and Savior Jesus, who was brutally murdered and beaten and took the wrath of God for us. And so I, I want to speak from these people's perspective, and I, I want to see what the Word of God says, what they say through the Word of God to us, and how we ought to respond to adversity, hardships, trials, uh, and all those sorts of things. And so if you'll turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29, Paul is building his case for being an apostle. He's building his case for being like, look at what has happened to me because of my belief in Jesus and my pursuit after the kingdom of God. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, meaning like 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And so we see here Paul listing out all of his sufferings, all of his hardships, all of the adversity that he had come across when he is doing a good thing. When he is advancing the kingdom of God, I'm, I'm confident there's no one in this room that's gone through as much as Paul, right? Anyone here? <laughs> Being beaten by your own people. Imagine you guys came and started beating me up now. Imagine you guys start, like, Paul's getting massive rocks thrown at him because people are trying to kill him. He's been shipwrecked. Anyone been shipwrecked here? And we can read about this and we can be like, man, this is so awesome. Like, what a life, what an adventure. But imagine being shipwrecked. Most of us don't even like being out in the cold for like more than 30 minutes. <laughs> and Paul's adrift at sea. Paul is like experiencing massive suffering and adversity in his life. And we're going to read some things later on about how Paul sees these things and perceives these things. But then we look at the life of Peter who was crucified and upside down. We look at the life of John who was boiled alive in oil, but he didn't die. I'm like, to me, I'm like, that's the worst thing. It's like when you're boiled alive in oil, I'm not that I've experienced this before, but when you're boiled alive, but then you don't die and you like continue on with the suffering and then he gets exiled. We look at the life of David who for years was hunted down by his own people who were trying to kill him. Constantly running for his life because people are literally trying to kill him. 
Like armies and armies and thousands and thousands of people hunting him down to take his life. And now as as I go on, I just want to preface a few things. In no way, as we talk about suffering, in no way do I want to belittle or minimize the suffering that we may go through or the suffering of others. I don't want to take your suffering and say it's a small thing because it's not a small thing. I don't want to take the, what you've been through and be like, oh, it doesn't matter. But it does. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it even tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That we actually come alongside and we want to be a great comfort and we want to be a great pillar of strength to those who are going through hardship. And we would hopefully want others to come around us as well as we're going through hard things. And so in no way do I want to minimize uh, the pain or the suffering that people go through. But I do want to exalt and I do want to magnify the greatness of our God in the midst of that suffering. The second thing I want to preface is that we don't pretend that we're not suffering. And we don't pretend like we're not going through pain or that we're not having a bad time. You know, one of the things that irritates me the most is like when you say, hey, how are you doing? And the person's like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really great. I'm like, I can see you're not doing great. You look like death. <laughs> like, stop lying to me, Right? Obviously, you don't want to just like dump on someone when you're just passing by and it's like, hey, doing it? It's like, oh, my life's a mess. And you actually speak to them for 30 minutes about how crummy your life is at the moment. But we don't want to pretend like nothing is going on. We want to be real with where we're at. But then again, we want to be real and understand how good our God is in the midst of every trial and situation and adversity. So we're not here to pretend like nothing's happening and put on a happy, clappy Christian face and, and be like, yeah, nothing's wrong. My life is amazing. It's, it's okay to be like, man, life's really difficult at the moment. I'm going through these things. But then we also don't want to take on a victim mentality and be like, woe is me. The whole world is out to get me. Because in light of who Jesus is, in light of what is accomplished on the cross, man, what is your... Oh, man, okay, we're going to get there. I'm trying not to jump ahead. Number three, as I, I want to preface as well, as we're talking about adversity and hardships, I'm, I'm not going to include in these things that are self-inflicted by dumb decisions. <laughs> like if you keep touching the hot stove, that's your own fault. If you keep looking at pornography, you should probably, you should probably just stop if it's destroying your marriage. If you continue gambling and you're losing all your finances, that's not like some sudden financial hardship that's come upon you. That's because you keep making a dumb decision to keep putting your hope and your trust in the, in the chance that you may win money. If you're having health issues, but it's because you have a really bad diet and you don't work out, I mean, you should probably adjust some things. I mean, if you've got massive insecurity about your body image or maybe you're a bit too vainglorious, meaning that you take too much pride in what you look like, you should probably take a hammer to your mirror. If you get too sucked into social media and you find your, your life being wasted away, you should probably delete your social media or throw your phone into the river. <laughs> There's so many things that we, we tend to inflict on our own lives and the adversities and sometimes our lives are so... Uh, ridden with hardships because of our own decisions and because of the things that we're engaging with, if we would just shift those things a little bit, our lives would be a whole lot better. And so today, I don't want to talk about those things that can be changed really easily. We can do that another time. Today, I want to talk about things that we have no control over, the things that we, we, we can't change, the things that other people would do to us or the circumstances happen, or maybe the enemy is trying to afflict our lives. 
And we see that the adversity of life is a sure thing. I'm not here to tell you today that if you give your life to Jesus, that you will never have any troubles or any hard times in your life ever again. That is a lie from the devil. Jesus himself tells us, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> something happens, you're like, wow, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Of course things are going to happen. This is a crazy world we live in, right? I mean, who expected that some random virus would like proliferate all across the world and then tyrannical governments would try and take over and like <laughs> subjugate people and lock them in their house for months? Who thought that Russia would just randomly invade Ukraine? Who thought the random trains would crash and now there's chemical leakage all over in Ohio, I think? Who, who, who suspected that one day a family member that we love just passed away? Or that there's some illness or some car accident or some random chance of events? Who expected these things? But the Bible tells us, be expecting these things because they will happen. There will be a time in your life where there will be a loved one who passes away. I guarantee you, unless Jesus comes back right now, Oh, that would be awesome. There will be times in our life where it's not what we tried or not what we hoped it would be. So many times, there was one time I, was, I really wanted a video game. I was like, Mom, please, get me this video game. And I prayed, and I felt the Lord say, she's going to give you the video game, Kiana. And I was like, yes, Lord. And then she did not give me the video game that I wanted. And I was like, why won't you give me this video game? And she said, because you'll get too addicted to it and you'll waste your life away. I was like, no, I won't. And then I definitely would have. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, yeah, thanks, mom. You're awesome. But I was hopeful of something and it didn't, it didn't come about, but it was actually for my good. And there are times where we're believing for things and there are times where we're hoping for things. So there's just random times where things happen and we're not expecting. But the Bible tells us to not be surprised when fiery trial comes upon you to test you. That something strange were happening, that we should actually be expecting it. And we don't live our lives as like preparing for every worst case situation. That's a horrible way to live. We, we prepare our lives, you know, we live our lives in freedom, knowing that when bad things do come, that we have the spirit of Jesus inside of us. And so we, we expect trials. And so how do we remain unshakable in the midst of adversity? How do we remain unshakable in the midst of adversity? I want to take us to Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 to 11. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. He says this, David says this, the guy who's running away from people who are literally trying to kill his life for years. This guy is writing this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be shaken. And then this is, the, this is the byproduct of him setting the Lord always before him. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, what, what David did was he set the Lord before him 
always, meaning that God was always the foundation of his life. God was always the refuge of his life, the security of his life. Uh, God was always the, the first one that he consulted with. God was always the first one that he ran to. God was always the first one he relied on. He didn't go to his spouse first. He didn't go to wise counsel first. He didn't go uh, to working excessively long hours to try and get his money back first. He didn't try make all these things happen. The first place that he went was the presence of God because he understood that it was in the presence of God that there was fullness of joy. He understood that it was in the presence of God and as he fixed his mind, he even writes in the Psalms multiple times, day and night I meditate on your word. The Word of God, the goodness of God, the reality of who Jesus is was always fixed in David's heart and on his mind. And so what we want to do if we want to have an unshakable life is we need to have an unshakable mind. We need to have an unshakable mind. And I've been here so many times where you're like in the vortex of like worry and like what's going to happen and trying to figure out, I'm going to do this, I can do this. And then all these thoughts come in and it's like your mind is like so ridden and so just like taken over almost by all of these pervasive thoughts, whether that's uh, thoughts of worry or whether that's thoughts of torment or whether that's uh, perverse thoughts or whether that's thoughts of like unknowing what's going to happen or you just want to do something and you're just like going crazy in your mind. I've been there. And it's important for us to know how to get out of that place. Because so often we can just get in this rut and that's just all that we think about all day and that stifles us when we, with our family. It stifles us in our workplace. It stifles us in advancing the kingdom of God because we get so fixed on this thing and it's this constant repetition of thoughts that keep on just going on. And what we need to understand is worry is the illusion that you can control things outside of your control. Worry is the illusion that you can control things outside of your control. Which is why Paul tells us, take every thought captive and hold it into obedience to Christ. Take every thought captive and hold it into obedience to Christ. A thought comes into my mind. I take it captive. I say, is this from the Lord or is this from Satan? And if it's from the Lord, then I take it and I receive it into my heart. If it's, from the, if it's from the enemy, then we reject it. This is why Jesus, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see verse 25, verse 31, verse 33 and 34. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious. And then he goes on to 30, verse 31. He says, again, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Okay, just put your hand up here if you're a Christian. If you're like, man, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Okay, keep your hand up if you're saying, I will do whatever Jesus tells me to do. Okay, no hands went down. That's good, that's good. Okay, now, now Jesus very clearly, just keep your hands up. Jesus very clearly in this scripture says, do not be anxious and do, like, do not worry. So now, because you're, you're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, you should not worry. You can put your hands down. Right? It's like, and that's, now, how do we get to that place of not worrying? Because something happens. A family member becomes sick or uh, something happens in our finances or something happens uh, in our own health or in our own body or situations just happen. How do we get to a place where we do not worry? We set the Lord before us in our minds. We fix our attention not on the enormity of the issue that we're going through. We fix our attention on the enormity of our God. 
We fix our enormity on the goodness of God. We fix our gaze on the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. We see in the story of, uh, of Joshua and Caleb and the, the 10 other spies, there were 12 spies that they go into the promised land to spy out the land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they're just about to come into the promise of God. And they're searching and they like, see all, like the land is the best land ever. It's like North Idaho, the best land ever. <laughs> and they're like, the fruits are massive and there's like milk and there's honey and there's everything that we would ever need in this place. And when they come back, 10 of the spies, they talk about, and their mind and their, their gaze is fixed on how big the adversity will be in the strength of the people that they need to overcome. Because they're fixed on the problem. They're fixed on the issue. But Caleb and Joshua, we see that they had a different mindset. They had a different perspective. And their perspective was not on how big the people were. Their perspective was not on how big the adversity or the challenge was. It was on how big and good God was and how faithful he was to bring them and do what he said he would do for them. They had a different mindset. They both saw the same people. And they both had the same God. But 10 of them chose to fix their eyes and their attention on adversity, while the other two chose to fix their gaze and their minds on God. We see, and and then some people will say, yeah, well, what if I do that and it still doesn't end up good? This is awesome. What if I fix my attention on Jesus and it still doesn't end up the way I anticipated it to end up, much like the way I was expecting my mom to give me that video game? What do I do then, right? Because like I put my faith in Jesus I put my faith in him. I, put my, I, I was founded in his word. What do I do then? We have the same mindset as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were told by the king of, uh, of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, if you do not bow down and worship this golden image that I've created, I will kill you. You will be thrown into a furnace and you will burn a horrible death. And what did they say? They said, we will not bow. And he said, and then he even asked him, he's like provoking them. He's like, who will deliver you? Who's going to save you, huh? <laughs> they're like, our God will deliver us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, I will still not bow down and worship your image. <laughs> so we have the mindset of even if it doesn't go our way, we will still worship Jesus. We will still fix our attention on him. We will still choose to put our gaze and our hearts on the beauty and the majesty and the power of God. Because here's the truth. Even if the worst possible things happen to you in this life, I just think about the worst possible things that could afflict your life. To me, I'm like, man, if I get paralyzed now, I can't move. I'm like, to me, I'm like, that would be horrible. Or if I, if I die suddenly, or if I lose my family, or if, like, the worst possible things, even if those things afflict our lives, we die, and in the end, we still win because we have Jesus. It's like we cannot lose. We cannot lose because if even the worst possible things, I get kicked out of my house, I'm starving, I'm cold on the street and I end up dying, I still win because I still have Jesus. This is awesome. Do I know why it's awesome? Because it frees us to actually just live the life God's called us to live without getting bogged down and worrying about every single thing that's afflicting our lives. And we can actually just be free. Who wants to be free, right? 
How awesome is it to just have a free heart and a free mind where we can just worship Jesus in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials and adversity, and still know that in the end, we win. If we hold on to Jesus, we win. If we let go of him, well, you're pretty much stuffed. But if you hold on to him, we win. We win. And so we have an unshakable mind by continually reminding ourselves that, you know what, Jesus is coming back one day. And even if I don't see him come back in my lifetime, I'm going to die and I get to be with Jesus forever. Wow. What a hope that we have. The next thing is that we want to have an unshakable heart an unshakable heart that we wouldn't allow bitterness, resentment, jadedness, unforgiveness to enter and to proliferate and to, and to spread in our hearts like a cancer. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And what I believe this is talking about is not if the hope that you have is still a distance off and you have to keep on waiting for it. I believe what it's talking about is this, is if you put a pause on hope, if you say, you know what, I'm going to stop hoping now. This situation is not going to come good. I've stopped hoping. Because it's in that place where we stop hope, where we put hope aside, that our heart begins to get sick. That we start to not be hopeful, but we start to enter into places of despair. And we start to have language about like, oh, that will never happen. Oh, that's for them, but it's not for me. Oh, this, God, like, I've, I've, I've prayed for this so many times and it's still not happened yet. And we've just given up hope. It makes the heart sick. It starts to bring in jadedness in our hearts. Now every time when we see someone else getting prayer for healing and we see that, we're like, oh, well, I mean, it's cool God did it for them. Why didn't he do it for me? Or maybe it's in relationships, or maybe it's in other situations where there's like different areas where you'll have a, a faith level for that thing to happen, and you'll have a, a place of belief for God to do something, maybe in your finances, but maybe it's not in for your marriage. And so we, we see that they're so easily, because our hearts are so fragile. Our hearts are fragile. Which is why the Bible actually tells us to guard our hearts above all else, for from it will flow the issues of life. There was a time I was, I was meeting with a young man who was struggling with pornography, and I was chatting with him. And as we were chatting, he was, he was telling me how he just felt so rejected by his mother, because his mother tried to kill him when he was in the womb. And so I ended up getting to pray for him. And there, I just saw in the spirit, there was this, like this big thorn in his heart. I was, I was praying, I was like, Jesus, just remove this rejection right now. And afterwards, he's like weeping, and he's like, I felt something like come out of my heart. I felt this thing like be removed from my heart, and I feel so free now. Some people just need some spiritual heart surgery. Some people need to, like, there's, sometimes it's like bitterness. Sometimes it's resentment or unforgiveness. Sometimes it's just doubt. Sometimes it's despair where it's like these things in our hearts. There was even a time where I was so bitter towards my church in Australia because I was hoping for a paid position there. And they gave paid positions to other people. And it was like my dream job to work for the church. And they were giving these positions to other people, but not me. And I was working, I was volunteering, I was giving, I was pouring out so much. 
And in my heart, I didn't notice it at the time, but it started to get so bitter. And what's funny about bitterness is that you begin to self-sabotage your life and your opportunities. And they would ask me, hey, do you want to preach the gospel? I was like, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm really busy. Because I was trying to show them, right? I was trying to be like, I'll show you that you need me which I didn't understand at the time. I was chatting with some people and we were talking about like, church hurt and we were talking about this stuff. And, and in a moment, it's like this spotlight got shone on my heart and I saw all the bitterness in my heart. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And so I went home and I repented and in a moment, the bitterness left. And then I went and met with my youth pastors and I apologized to them. And they're like, wow, you look so different, Keanu. And then when I saw my friend Joel, which I hadn't seen for a while, he's like, you look different. Because the things in your heart, they're going to change the way that you look. They're going to change the way that you hold yourself. And if we're continually bound and we're continually weighed down by sins or by burdens or by any of these weird heart issues that, or these things that try to afflict our hearts, we're going to be stifled in our walk with Jesus. And so we need some spiritual heart surgery. We need to constantly guard our hearts so that we don't get to a place of jadedness or bitterness or resentment or, or, or cr- criticism, always criticizing. David, he writes this in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. It's such a beautiful part, such a beautiful psalm. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's opening up his heart, and he's saying, Lord, search me. Make my heart pure. Make my heart a heart that is not weighed down by the hurts of life, by the resentments and the offenses and the, and the criticisms of life. Let me have a heart like a child that's so gleeful in your presence and so desiring to be with you. So we need an unshakable mind. We need an unshakable heart. Not a hard or closed heart, but a guarded heart that only permits those things in which are good and from the Lord and rejects those things which the enemy tries to sow uh, into our heart. I want to go through a few more quick things just that I think will help us and then we're going to pray for some people and we're going to wrap up. To live an unshakable life, we need, be, we need to be convinced of Calvary. We need to be convinced of Calvary. We need to be convinced that the, what Jesus accomplished on the cross was enough. So many people that have this insecurity or this unworthiness complexion about their lives. Then they will come and they'll be like, oh, don't pray for me, pray for that person. As, in, as like, if God can't pray, like heal both of you or touch both of you. Or some people are like, oh, yeah, God will do that for them, but they won't do it for me. We need to be convinced of Calvary, that Jesus, he died on the cross. He shed his blood for you, meaning that you are worth his blood being shed. And you are not exempt. You're not someone special that God will choose everyone else, but not you. <laughs> you are loved by him unconditionally. And this is why we need to be founding, uh, building and establishing our lives on the word of God. If you don't read it in the Bible, don't believe it. If you read it in the Bible, believe it. Like, do not worry. Okay, Jesus told me, do not worry. I'm not going to worry. And then you don't just focus on not worrying. You focus on Jesus and on how good he is, right? <laughs> I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. <laughs> Focus on Jesus. If God said it and you believe it, that settles it. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. God's word is the authority in your life. 
God's Word, it supersedes your experience. It supersedes your opinion. It supersedes your feelings. God's Word is preeminent. God's Word is the foundation on which we build our lives and we need to convince ourselves. We need to be convinced that His Word is true, that He is faithful, that He is good in all things. Even in the midst of your hardest trials of life, God is good and He is faithful and He loves you and He cares for you and He is with you. Next thing, get good godly friends. I won't go into this one much because Pastor Jeff just did a phenomenal job last week. So go watch the podcast or go watch the YouTube video on our YouTube thing if you weren't here. But get good godly friends. If you have friends that suck in your life, dump them and move on. <laughs> right? If you have friends that you're like, you're trying to pursue God and they're like, oh, well, you probably shouldn't do that. Or what if God doesn't come through? Or hey, you should be more wise about this situation. And it's like, okay, you know what? See you later. I'm going to go around and get around people that encourage me in my faith, that build me in my faith. <laughs> Get good godly friends that give you godly counsel, not the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of heaven. Next thing is wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Some people, they pray for something, they're like, God, please do this. And they're like, okay, cool, I'm done. See you later. No, wait upon the Lord. Oh, but Keanu, I have to go to work. Okay, well, if you want to go to work instead of waiting with Jesus. Oh, but Keanu, I have these responsibilities. Well, if you think that's more important than waiting on the presence of God. Okay. People don't like this one because we have this sense of responsibility to do all these things and, and so easily we neglect the presence of God. So easily we come into a place of, no, I have to do this, I have to do this. And it's funny that the urgent so often overrules the important. And we say we believe that in His presence there is fullness of joy and in His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But how many of us get lost in His presence? How many of us would sacrifice our jobs to remain in the presence of God? How many of us would sacrifice opportunities and money and finances or comforts to be in the presence of God. And people are like, well, I have to go to work. Okay, you have to go to work. That's fine. But you probably don't need to watch three hours of Netflix each night. <laughs> and so we need to wait on God. Hey, you probably don't need to be there for eight hours. If you want to be there for eight hours, go for gold. Like, that's awesome. But wherever you're at now, how can you linger a little bit longer in the presence of God? I love the heart of Joshua. He would sit outside the tent of the tabernacle while Moses would meet with God, which is crazy that he'd go like meet with God. This is wild. And Joshua would wait there. Moses would leave the presence of God and Joshua would linger there a little bit longer. Joshua, his heart was, you know what, just a little bit more, Lord. And so for your life, as we're practicing, as we're learning how to wait on the Lord more and more, that our hearts would just be like, Okay, Jesus, maybe just one more minute. Maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're just in a place where you only, only get five minutes to spend time in his presence. But you know what? I want to encourage you just in your heart, like, okay, Jesus, just a little bit longer. I know I only said five minutes, but let's just make it six. Let me just wait a little bit longer on your presence to be here to fix my gaze on the beauty of Jesus. Let's wait a little bit longer. The next thing is that we need to realize it won't last forever. Whatever we're going through, it won't last forever. Even if it lasts all of our life, it won't last in eternity. It won't last in eternity. Next one. If you fall, make sure you get back up. If you stumble, make sure you get back up. If you find yourself distant from the Lord, make sure you come back. 
No matter what you've done or where you've been or how far you think you may be, if you fall, make sure you get back up. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. No matter what you've done, get back up. No matter how far you are, come back home. The next one is don't pull back, push in. We see the reaction or the response of Adam and Eve, that when they did something wrong, they actually retracted from the presence of God. They tried to conceal and they tried to hide themselves. So many people, they're like, I just need to take a break from church because all of this stuff going on in my life. I just need to take a a break from the presence of God. I need to take a break from reading the Bible or praying because life's really hectic. No, that's the time where we need to push in. Life's really difficult and I don't feel like praying. You need to pray even more. Life's really difficult and I don't feel like reading the Bible. You need to read the Bible even more. Don't retract your life from the things of God. Push in even deeper. Don't use every adversity as a stepping stone to propel you into the presence of God. Let's use what the enemy is intending for evil in our lives to actually propel us into the presence of God and using it as a trigger, using it as a a reason and a motivation to go further into his presence. Don't retract, push in. If the band can come back up, that'd be awesome. I believe today there are some people whose hope needs to be restored, who need to be strengthened in their bodies, who need to be strengthened in their spirits and believe once again on the goodness, the faithfulness, the love and the power of our God. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, we read uh, verse 6 to 9 at the very beginning. He says this, and this is why we can read the first part, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 6 to 9. This is why we can read this and be like, in my suffering, I will rejoice. In my adversity, I will rejoice and I will be glad. This is why, right now, we're going to read it. 1 Peter chapter, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Catch this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can rejoice in our suffering We can live a life worry-free. We can have a pure and, and humble and clean and undefiled heart because of a living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. That He is able and He is willing to move mightily in our lives. But even if He doesn't, we still win in the end. We still receive the promise of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We see this awesome thing here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We're just going to go straight to verse 2. He says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Catch this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross because he saw something that was not yet, but would soon come to fruition. His joy was you and I being reconciled to the Father by his work. He endured agony. He endured anguish in his heart. He endured suffering because of joy that was set before him, you and I. And now in this 
in this beautiful way we get to reciprocate that to our Lord Jesus because for the joy set before us we now get to go through hardship and adversity and our joy is him his joy is us and our joy is him and as we fix our eyes and set our lives and our eyes before him always and we've always put Jesus before us our gaze it's like the donkey that's chasing the carrot we're fixing Jesus always before us but you know what we actually get the carrot in the end we get Jesus in the end. If we could all please stand up, that would be awesome. That's why he says in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Church, we need to be a people who are unshaken by the adversities of life. We need to be a people who do not allow the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions and the hardships to shake us. But to be one to remain unshakable, great pillars of strength as we exalt the name of Jesus. And as I've been speaking about the hope that we have in Jesus, if you're here in this place and you are not a follower of Jesus, and you do not know this hope, and you do not have this hope inside of you. But today you want to give your life to Jesus, and you're like, man, I need Jesus. Because if you do not have Jesus, man, it's you're going to spend eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. And you can think, yeah, I'll, 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 I'm a good person, or I can do these things, and then I'll make it to the end. No, no, no. There is only one way to the Father, and His name is Jesus. If you want to be saved today, if you want to live a life for Jesus, and if you want to have a hope in your heart that will transcend your suffering and that will transcend your adversity and your hardships, a living hope that is embedded in your heart that is able to empower you and encourage you through every season and every trial. If you want to live a life that is unable to be shaken, if you want to live a life for Jesus, Right now, if that's you, I would love for you just to put your hand up. If you're saying, man, I want Jesus today. Awesome. Is there anyone here saying today I want Jesus? Wonderful one over here. Come on, is there anyone else who's saying today I want Jesus? Just put your hand up. 